The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're all familiar with the Our Father. Many of us prayed it at our mother's knee. Many of us heard our father praying it as he led in worship. But what does it really mean? And how do we pray? Prayer is not easy. There is both a natural inclination in the hearts of all men and women, boys and girls, to pray. But there is also a natural resistance in our spirits to pray. 
much of the prayer that is offered is is really not offered in a way that allows God to hear and answer. Prayer is the breath of the soul. It is a reflection of the level of life and understanding. So today I'd like to walk with you through this, Our Father, and hopefully open for you a deeper understanding that will allow you to come into the presence of God. I'm going to give you some technical understanding. There are seven petitions in the Our Father. These petitions, three of them are for God, and four of them are for us. These petitions express our heart. <clears throat> Pardon me, they cover our our deep need to come into the presence of a holy God, and they express our need for survival. Now yesterday I shared with you the old covenant model of the tabernacle where we come with our back to money, our back to the sun. We bring an offering before God, pardon me, that is a blood sacrifice. We lay our hands on that animal's head and we confess our sin. As we confess our sin, And then the animal bleeds out and the blood is sprinkled on the sides of the altar and the sacrifice is placed on the altar. We are called in the new covenant to lay our lives on the altar of burnt offering as a living sacrifice before God, as living martyrs. And then forward to the laver where we are washed with water we put on the clothing of righteousness and then we make our way into the holy compartment where on the right hand side is the table of showbread where we are symbolized by a loaf of bread laid out as food for God And on the left side, the candelabra, the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get very far, if anywhere, in prayer without the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded, see if I can see it quickly. I'm reminded of of Charles Finney in the story of his 
conversion. Let me just share this with you quickly. As I turned to go up into the woods, I recollect having said, I will give my heart to God or I will never come down from here. I recall repeating this as I went up, I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But when I attempted to pray, I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that if I could only be where I could speak aloud without being overheard, I would pray freely. But when I tried it, I was mute. I had nothing to say to God, or at least I could say only a few words and those without heart. In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves and would stop and look up to see if someone were coming. I did this several times. I've sat with many people in meetings, church meetings, and I've invited people to pray as they felt called. And there would be long periods of silence where it was as though a heavy hand were covering the mouth of the of the one called to pray. I have even called on very specific people, brother, would you would you lead us in prayer? And they will, when called, pray, but it usually is a perfunctual prayer. It's usually a now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. Finney said, Finally, I found myself sinking fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God, and it will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods. When I tried, I found I could not give my heart to God. My soul hung back, and my heart was in no way going out to God. I began to feel deeply that it was too late, that I was past hope, and that God must have given up on me. Do any of you feel that way today? I know you do. You say your perfunctory prayers, and usually you don't pray much in private. They say the average American prays about two minutes a day, or the average evangelical Christian prays about two minutes a day. Have you tried to pray and found that you could not, that your heart was dead to God, that it simply would not pray? Finney writes, I then began to think my promise rash that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if that were binding upon my soul and yet I was going to break my vow. A great discouragement came over me and I felt almost too weak to get up on my knees. And just at that moment, I again thought I heard someone approaching me, and I opened my eyes to see whether it were so. But just then, it was 
distinctly shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave that place if all the men on the earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, such a degraded sinner as I am on my knees, confessing my sins to the great and holy God, how can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like myself, find me on my knees, endeavoring to make my peace with my offended God? The sin appeared awful, infinite. It broke me down before the Lord. Now I want you to, please, brother, sister, I want you to hear this. Finney was blocked in his attempt to pray because of pride. When he was shown that it was his pride. His heart broke. And he then could freely express himself in repentance to a holy and righteous God. All real prayer begins with a submission to God And if that requires repentance, then it must be repentance. If that requires a total surrendering of ourselves to the will of God, then it must be a total surrendering of ourselves. And until we do this, we cannot pray. Except polite little, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. And frankly, the church is full of this kind of foolish praying. Oh, it's said in very artistic words, and it's, It's like something you want to keep poetic. But it's garbage before God. Almost all public prayer in America is garbage before a holy God. Now he continues, just at that point, this passage of scripture seemed to drop into my mind with a flood of light Then you will pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. Somehow I knew that this was a passage of Scripture, though I do not think I'd ever read it. I knew that it was God's Word and God's voice that spoke to me. I instantly seized hold of this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never had I known that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state. I was conscious of trusting at that moment in God's veracity. I cried to him, Lord, I take you at your word. You know that I am searching for you with all my heart and that I have come to pray to you and you have promised to hear me. That was Finney in his wonderful book, Holy Spirit Revivals, page 20. 
Now, I want to walk with you through this Lord's Prayer, and I want you to see how it does not disagree with the model of the Old Testament. And it does not disagree with what Charles Finney discovered in his prayer life. It is also what I've discovered in mine. That honest prayer must begin with honest repentance, a breaking down of all pride, not trying to hide from God. He already knows what you've done. He already knows what you've thought. He already knows what you've said about him. He already knows your heart. He understands who you are. So prayer begins with repentance or prayer begins with absolute, complete submission to the will of God. If there is anything in your heart that is rejecting the will of God for you, then it demands repentance. So let's walk through this this prayer. I want to share with you today a literal translation of the Our Father. Probably, no, undoubtedly, the closest to the real deal I've ever been able to find. Therefore, pray in this way. Our Father. Jesus prayed in the Aramaic. This is translated from the Greek. Literally, in the Aramaic, it would be our Abba. It would be our Daddy. It would be the familiar tense. So we're invited to come into the presence of the Lord, and he's giving this prayer to his disciples who have just begun to learn who he is and what this is all about, but they have made considerable sacrifice. They have left their families and their businesses, and they're now walking with Jesus. We find this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying to the crowd, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, when they have received they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows 
what you need before you ask him. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't try to impress God, our Father, with empty words, with flowery words, with repetitions. I've heard people pray, Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. No. And many times I hear people begin to pray by saying, Oh God, I don't pray to God. Which God am I speaking of? Well, Jesus wants us to be very clear. We're speaking to our daddy. We're speaking to the one we love and to the one who loves us. So if you're going to be free to pray, you're going to have to come humbly. And Jesus is saying, go into your secret room and there begin to pray. And start your prayer by acknowledging that the God of heaven is your daddy. Very intimate, very familiar. Please, it is impossible to pray and keep God at a distance. God is either intimately connected in our heart through transparency through repentance, through surrender. For he is not our father. He's not our daddy. He may be judge. He may be king. He may be ruler. But you're not at home with him. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, be at home. Don't pray, my father or my daddy, because we're part of a family. Acknowledge that you are a part of the family of God. And so you begin, our daddy in heaven. Our daddy, our father, in heaven. then the first statement that we're to make in this model prayer literally says, your frame be treated as sacred or your person must be treated as sacred as holy, as set apart, as sanctified. In other words, when we come into the presence of our daddy, we are told we must treat him not as a common person, not as our best friend, not as our buddy. He is to be treated as sacred, as holy, There is awe 
involved in all real prayer. There is an acknowledgement that the frame, the person, the being that we call God, that we call our Father, that we call Daddy, is sacred and holy. That is the first request. We ask that God be treated as holy. Then arrive this kingdom of yours. Arrive this kingdom of yours. Literally, we're saying... We want your divine authority to come now. This is probably the most dangerous prayer any person can pray. It's dangerous because it acknowledges first that the God of heaven is our daddy, that we are part of his family, And we are asking that his divine authority rule over us. We are asking that the kingdom, not a geographic kingdom, but the divine rule of the mighty Father in heaven would be over us. If you're going to be a part of the family of God, then you must submit to the rule of daddy over your life. You cannot be independent. You cannot be separate from his power and his authority. He rules over you. And then these frightening words, emerge that will of yours as in heaven also on earth. Literally, the meaning of the Greek words that are used in the Our Father are asking that something new, that something we have not seen before, would begin to come forth in our life. That our life would now burst into new possibilities. That our life would now burst into something different than we have known on the face of the earth. We are asking that the newness of the creation come into our life even as it has come into heaven. And they do have something new in heaven. They have Jesus, who is God, who has become fully man, and fully God. They now have the emergence, the the coming forth of the Christ child. They now have in heaven, in the heavenly tabernacle, the presence of a human divine being called Jesus. And he is from that center orchestrating the salvation 
of this prison planet Earth. And they are watching with great fascination what he does and what he orders. And they are quickly carrying out his directions in your life and in mine. So when I come to the Our Father and I acknowledge that he is my daddy, I acknowledge that I want his rulership over my life, and I now ask that his will be done in my life, not my will, but his will. I'm asking that something new emerge out of my life, something that has not been before. And the joy of my heart today is that I'm becoming, and I am, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And I rejoice in that new creation as I repent before the Lord when I have sinned against him. And the thoughts and the attitudes and the actions of my life are being transformed and changed. And I am becoming and I am a new creation. I'm not the same old man. I'm not the same wicked person. I've been transformed. I've been changed. And I am yet even now changing even more. I rejoice in that change. You see, this, our Father, is asking that our Daddy would not be treated with the disrespect of this world, the devil and the flesh, that he would be treated with great love. Have you ever prayed for Jesus? Have you ever prayed, Father, strengthen Jesus now as he's making the eternal decisions about what to do with the human race? This is very personal to God. This is very personal to Daddy. It's very personal to Jesus. He died for you and he died for me and he cares what decisions we make and he cares whether or not we will allow to emerge in our lives those new traits, those new characteristics, those new opportunities. We get so caught in our old stuff. I've been grieved in the last weeks as I've spoken with people who spend a great deal of time and have a great understanding of the scriptures but have no fruit to share for the gospel of Jesus. They've not won even one person to the kingdom of heaven. That grieves my heart. I was with a group of leadership people from another congregation and we were having we were having a supper together, maybe 20 people. And I got their attention. And I asked them the question, have any of you, have any of you in the last year won anyone to Jesus? They were quite frankly offended by my question. 
One man, a very articulate, wealthy businessman, he said, Pastor, that's not my job. I give my tithes and my offerings. I serve in the church. Oh, I said, then then you're exempted from what Jesus said when he said to the disciples, you're to be fishers of men. You're not a fisher of men. You're a bureaucrat. He was very offended. I said, have any of you in the last week spoken to anyone about their soul's salvation? Not one person had spoken to anybody about their soul's salvation. How is that possible? It's because there is an absolute refusal to pray in an appropriate manner, recognizing daddy, family, recognizing how the heart of God goes out after his children, and how we refuse to cooperate with him in going after the children. So this prayer is very offensive. For it says, let your kingdom arrive on this earth now. And emerge, emerge that new thing. Emerge, come forth from your will. Not my will, your will. Come forth, will of God, on earth as in heaven. Well, what is God's will? All of Jesus' attention is focused right now on saving as many as possible on this prison planet where we have been restrained as we're on probation. He wants righteousness to emerge. He wants love to emerge. He wants his will to emerge. He wants us to become workers in the vineyard, not bureaucrats in the kingdom. He doesn't need bureaucrats in the kingdom of God. He needs missionaries. He needs people who lay down their lives in service to their master. He needs men and women of stature, of integrity, of strength. Men and women who will cooperate with him in the emergence of that new thing, which is the salvation of the lost and the dying. But many are so absorbed in their worldly affairs that they can't even speak a word for Jesus Christ, lest it cost them their jobs. Now we come to the requests for us. Verse 11, Give us today the loaf of bread that's ours for the coming day. A prayer prayed in the morning, asking for that, that bread, which is considered the staple of life. 
But there's a word in the Greek that is very difficult to understand. Some think that the apostle made it up when writing this. And that is Give us today the loaf of bread that is super abounding in nutrition. Give us today a loaf of bread that will not leave us hungry. You know, I've I've had a meal and sometimes it was just a bowl of soup, maybe a slice of, of toast. And I'm finished with my meal and I'm still hungry. It was not satisfying. I I perhaps ate it too quickly, perhaps didn't chew well enough, whatever the reason. And then what I want to do, which is not right, is I want something sweet. I want a cookie, piece of pie, some ice cream, some peanut butter and honey. Because my dinner was not satisfying. It left me hungry. Well, this prayer is, give us today the loaf of bread that's ours to eat today and and a super abundant loaf of bread that when we eat this bread we will have no hunger after that for the rest of the day it will totally satisfy the hunger of our heart now many of you you recognize that the real bread is Jesus Christ. He said his body was real bread and his blood was real drink. I just testify before you that the bread of Jesus Christ satisfies the deepest cry of my heart. And that when I have eaten of that bread, my heart is not hungry for the ice cream of the devil or the cookies of the devil, the junk food of the devil. This bread is certainly the body of Jesus Christ, but it's also the very practical. It's the walking in that day watching for the emergence of what God will bring forth and being nourished in my spirit and in my body. There have been days when I did not have any food to eat and I have gotten down on my face before the Lord, before my daddy. And I've said, Daddy, I'm hungry. I have nothing to eat. 
I have nothing for my wife to eat. Would you send food? I remember that happened when I was a child on several occasions. My father had been had been out selling in Laramie, Wyoming, Bibles, Christian books, door to door. And in that town of Laramie, there was what was called a Green River Law. And he was not allowed to go door to door to sell Bibles or Christian books. And so he was arrested, booked, and then was put on trial. Well, during this time, he was also the lay pastor of a church in Laramie, Wyoming. But they were not accustomed to giving their lay pastor anything for his service because he was out selling Christian literature during the day. And so sometimes food was very sparse. And I can remember on several occasions in the morning when we got up and said, Daddy, we're hungry. Can we have breakfast? Well, no, we don't have any food in the house, Raymond. But come, let's all gather and let's pray and let's ask Jesus if he would send us food today. (laughs) I've got to tell you quickly just a funny story. My brother Don, and I love him, he's two years older than I am. He is such a, a wonderful man, a man of God. But he decided God needed some help, and so that week he carefully took several dollars out of the offering plate. And that week when we were out of food, he went down to the corner, and when he came back, he said, Daddy, I found some money on the street, and he gave it to my dad. Dad went out and bought some breakfast. Later, my father said to him, where did you get that money? Show me exactly where it was. And when he couldn't do that, he finally confessed that he had taken the money out of the offering plate. Dad did not punish him for that. He understood. But I watched as my father knelt this big, Six foot three man, and humbly with his family, ask the Lord for bread for the day. And I can tell you, he never failed to provide. The Lord would always send that wonderful Christian woman by with the casserole and the dessert. Give us today the loaf of bread that will feed us for the coming day. And then verse 12, and free us of our debts as we also freed our debtors. This is a a vital one to understand. If I forgive someone in the common terms of today, I'm doing something for me so that my heart will not be bitter. But the real meaning of this passage is to set free that person who has sinned against us. It is, in the Jewish culture, a custom at that time that 
when a person was forgiven a debt, there would be a public notice tacked on the bulletin board saying so-and-so had been freed of their debt and no longer owed it. And the Lord is saying, when you come to your daddy, release anyone from anything they owe you, from any getting revenge, from any collection of flesh, from any condemnation. Free them, and your father, your daddy, will free you also. And then this final one. And do not bring us into trial, but draw us away from the grievous. Literally, we have usually said, do not bring us into temptation. And the Greek word means either temptation or trial. But it's clear from the usage that the word should be trial. He's not checking our spiritual ability to resist the temptation of the devil. He is saying, pray and ask me that you would not be brought into the assayer's office, that you would not be pierced, that you would not be brought to trial. But draw us away from the grievous. Some translate this, deliver us from the evil one. No, that's, it's not talking here about Satan at all. It's talking here about the anguish and the pain and the suffering that accompanies being taken to trial. The uncertainty. The not knowing if we will survive or be sent to prison. So he's saying, ask the father, ask your daddy to prevent you from being brought into trial that you would not suffer. Now, quickly, before we run out of time, I need to go back and address this issue of free us of our debts. I want to tell you that that is literally what we are to do. We are to ask our Father to deliver us from the debt that we owe to a company or to another person. And he can free us by either releasing us or by giving us the money to pay that debt off. But what we're dealing with here is our daddy who is concerned about the mess we've gotten ourselves into. And we need to ask him to deliver us from this snare, this indebtedness. Debt is a slave master over many of your lives. And you have entered into that debt and it has been sin. You think nothing of entering into that debt for the new car. You think of nothing to enter into that debt on the credit card. It is sin before God. Let no debt remain outstanding save the debt of love one for another. It's very, very difficult to love someone when you're under the pressure of debt. 
And our daddy is saying, do not suffer under your debt. Some of you think, I'm going to have to suffer under this debt for the next years. You will suffer under that debt if you do not come and claim this promise. Asking Daddy to free you from your debt. I'll never forget, my late wife Jan and I were $70,000 in credit card debt. We had no way to pay it. We had no job. We had no ministry. We were homeless. A kind pagan family invited us to live with them. And for five years, we did live with them. What I want to say to you is we took all of our bills, all of our credit cards. We laid them out before the Lord and we prayed and wept over every one of them and acknowledged that we had stolen that money from them. The Lord told us, do not go into bankruptcy. Instead, he said, I will pay them. If you will ask me, I will send the money every month to pay these debts. It took us about two years. And the last amount of money, the Lord miraculously sent us a large amount, and he said, now negotiate and pay off the debt. And the Lord went before us, and the debt was paid. He freed us of our debt when we had no jobs. He literally sent us the money for $50 per credit card, $100, $500, whatever the amount was, the Lord sent it to us, and we put it on the debt. We started with the smallest debt. And then we added more as the Lord gave it to us to pay the larger debt because we knew our debt was sin before God. And this required that we repent earnestly and completely. And we were freed from our debt. And the Lord said now, Free those who are in debt to you. One man came beseeching me to loan him $5,000 some time back, and it so happened that I had that money in savings. I loaned it to him. He never paid it back. He came to me again sometime later and said, Pastor, I need $500. My mother is dying. I've got to go see her. Would you loan me $500? I said, Brother, you never paid back the last amount. So yes, I'll help you with the 500 but I want you to know I've forgiven you for your debt. How could I be bitter? And by the way, 
both of those items cost me a great deal of suffering in the prayer closet before God. It was like a million dollars to me. I want you to know today, repentance is the way to repay your debt. And if you will go to daddy, he will rescue you from your snare. Remember, emerge that which your will is. Something new. The new is total deliverance. Now, I'd like to read you in the literal Greek this prayer. Our Father who is in the heavens... Your fame be treated as sacred. Arrive this kingdom of yours, emerge that will of yours, as in heaven also on earth. Give us today the loaf of bread that is ours from the coming day, and free us of our debts, as we also freed our debtors. And do not bring us into trial, but draw us away from the grievous. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Pray, brother, sister. Pray. 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 I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Christ.